I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick an obscure topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Who created Spider-Man's costume? Well, Steve Ditko, right? Spider-Man's creator, right? Spider-Man is one of the most enduring invisible representations of the American superhero. His iconic red and blue spiderweb pattern costume has been a key distinguishing factor in his success. But what if there was a secret origin to this seemingly simple fact? An origin that might cast a shadow across Spider-Man's entire legacy. public origin. Spider-Man is Marvel's flagship character, period. Debuting in 1962, in the pages of Amazing Fantasy 15, Peter Parker has gone on to become an international film icon and beloved comic book character. Spider-Man was originally created by two men, artist and writer Steve Ditko and writer and editor Stan Lee. The public version of this story <laughs> is the fact that you've been hearing for the last 50 years is that Stan approached Marvel publisher Martin Goodman with the idea to do a teenage superhero, one that would have problems and superpowers gained from a radioactive spider bite. Goodman shot down this idea due to the fact that the entrenched dogma of the time believed superheroes to only be viable if they were adults. So just where did Stan Lee get the harebrained idea of this highly beloved superhero? I've told this story so often it might even be true. I, I can't remember. <laughs> all right, I'll tell you, I've told this so often, you know, for all I know, it might even be true. How I came up with the idea for Spider-Man, I, I have said this so often at so many places that for all I know, it might even be true. It's, it's a true story. Although sometimes it's hard even for me to believe it. I was sitting and I saw a fly crawling on the wall. And I said, wow, suppose a person had the power to stick to a wall like an insect. So I was off and running and I thought, what'll I call him? I tried Mosquito Man, that didn't have any glamour. Insect Man, that was even worse. I went down the face. line and I got to Spider-Man. It sounded mysterious and dramatic. And lo, a legend was born. Is this true? Is this actually where the idea came from? It kind of seems like, best case scenario, Stan is hiding something, doesn't it? Why is he so concerned with nonchalantly telling you that he's lying to you? Worst case, he's, well, outright lying. There had been a uh, pulp magazine a million years ago. I read it when I was 10 years old, and it was called The Spider. And underneath it, there was the, I think there was a tagline, Master of Men. Well, when you're a 10-year-old kid and you read The Spider, Master of Men, uh, that name always stuck with me. And um, he was just a detective who nobody knew who he was. I think, I'm not sure, he wore a Spider-Man ring, a, spy, a ring with the imprint of a spider, and when he'd punch somebody, it would leave a little mark of a spider. That was it. Interesting. So, is this wrinkle about a long-forgotten pulp character, the spider, the aspect of Spider-Man's creation that Stan is obviously uncomfortable with? So, when I was looking for a name, I thought I wanted a guy who could crawl on walls like an insect. However, I got the idea, I don't know. And I was looking for a name from 
So I figured, well, Mosquito Man, nah, that doesn't sound dramatic. Insect Man, yeah, Spider Man. And then I remembered that old pulp book and how much the name had impressed me. And I figured, hey, why? Uh, first I thought of the spider. And then I thought, nah, I think spider. I, I hate taking anything somebody else did, even though it was a name from a million years ago. Huh. That sounds deeply Freudian to me. Let's see, Stan. Let's see. Spider-Man's co-creator Steve Ditko was born November 28, 1927, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. He's renowned for simultaneously being one of the most important comic book artists of all time and a notorious recluse. In fact, there's only four or five photos of him that are known to exist. Do you want to try and describe this to the listener, Andrew? What are, what are, what are these photos that you're seeing? Um, seeing a hoarder. <laughs> which is ironic because i don't think he actually owned very much yeah i just I, I i see somebody who uh does not want a picture being taken of them yeah he's uh you know probably six foot thin white man uh with a with large kind of um wire framed spectacles receding hairline uh in all four of the photos that i've included in this script he's wearing um, a collared plaid shirt, um, and he uh, he looks kind of like, even as a young man, he looks like a disgruntled uncle. Yeah, like he just he just has big, sad, divorced uncle energy. Mm -hmm. um, above his drawing table, in multiple of these images, you can see a a piece of uh, board illustration board cut and placed on his. Um, on his lamp that says think uh, which is a something that he n is notorious for having you know that 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 little sign that says think um stay woke brothers <laughs> yeah Get pretty it. much yeah always gotta remind yourself just think at all times don't ever let them all times don't ever let them trick you into thinking that you shouldn't think Remind yourself to think. Ditko is responsible for creating a raft of characters over the course of his career, including Mr. A, Blue Beetle, Squirrel Girl, Doctor Strange, Captain Atom, Hawk and Dove, The Question, and The Creeper. After leaving Marvel in 1966, Ditko would fight for credit over the iconic co-creation in question, which, quite honestly, he would never fully receive, but just for the sake of clarity, Let's walk through the steps of how Spider-Man was created. Stan Lee was the primary writer at Marvel during this period in the 1960s. He wrote all of the comics by utilizing what he referred to as, in air quotes, the Marvel method, meaning he would come up with a name, a brief summary of a story, which consisted of a plot outline and a few key details, and then the artist would get assigned to the story, would create a fully finished page. They would design the characters, break down the story into panel-by-panel -panel storytelling, pencil in rough dialogue, and then Stan would come in after the fact and massage things a little by adding final text and captions. The process for Spider-Man specifically started when one of the Marvel Anthology books, Amazing Fantasy, was going to be cancelled. So Stan decided to utilize an idea that had been rattling around his head for a while. Spider-Man. Remember that Spider-Man? That's a going to be important later. The initial artist that Lee approached for Spider-Man was in fact not Steve Ditko, but 
Jack Kirby, the artist that had co-created the Hulk, the Fantastic Four, and Thor, X-Men, numerous other books for the rapidly growing company. However, Kirby's design for the character, well, they weren't what Stan had envisioned. When campaigning for co-creator credit later in life, Ditko would make a comic about his experiences with the process. They described what was given and what Jack produced, a more Captain America-esque character. And then, Ditko's finished costume. Later in life, Steve Ditko would self-publish a bunch of zines um, with uh, a co-publisher named Robin Snyder. They were running Kickstarters up until he died, and I believe Robin is about to launch a new Kickstarter now. Um, I've backed a bunch of them. I, I'm fascinated by Ditko's work and um, his life, and also specifically his unflinching dedication to the principles that he holds, which I personally do not agree with, but I think his unwavering steadfastness to them is is quite fascinating so the comic itself is is yeah, you know, my, it, my favorite uh, of his views is how he want he always wanted to be shrunk down and live inside of bill murray <laughs> which is a callback to last episode that if you haven't listened to won't make any sense <laughs> god damn it dave we've already talked about this you cannot have this this insecurity that these that they're not listening to the episodes <laughs> Uh, we could call so these, these, we, we could call back episode one right now. I'll, I'll do it right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna call back episode one. Fucking uh, fuck. What do we say in that episode? Stratemeyer Syndicate. Yeah. The, say no more. They get it. <laughs> they know what you're talking about. So basically, these, these pages from the comic show. I'll, I'll I will read the actual text in the comic, and then I'll have Andrew describe the visuals. Stanley's Spider-Man in air quotes quotation quotation Spider-Man. A one or two page synopsis for the artist who must draw a 21 to 24 page of story slash art panels. Dialogue must then be added, working from the artist's rough panel script. And then the second panel, Ditko's Spider-Man creation, and an image of Peter Parker swinging and shooting webs. Is Marvel's Spider-Man comic book character a one-man creation or a co-creation? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's two panels side by side, two rec rectangular panels contrasting them together. Though the panel underneath the the text that says Stanley Spider-Man creation is just a basically like a couple paragraphs of description, and then yeah, there's no there's no image, yeah, yeah, it's just a blank white panel with with text on it. Um, and then the the panel that's under Steve Ditko's Spider-Man creation is just a it's a fully formed drawing of Spider-Man. Um, or I guess it's more of a thumbnail, but it's it's supposed to represent a fully formed drawing. Um, and it's, it's comparing the two to basically illustrate this point visually, um, which is kind of it's 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 an interesting concept to convey this visually in comic form by using the contrast of a blank white panel with a bunch of negative space and a few sparse words next to a fully formed drawing to really hammer it in home how little the um the writing part of the process goes into realizing the character and using a comic to illustrate that visually in a way that you can't really convey by just describing it because you look at the panels and you're just like you you it visually clicks to you that the panel that just has the text, the words that were written to describe Spider-Man and describe what the writing process was, um, you know, it's nothing. You look at it and it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to you. It's not interesting. And then you look on the right and you've got this cool picture of Spider-Man. 
it, it, it effectively sells the concept. The costumes. A creation is anything that is created. A creator is one who creates. There is one name, Spider-Man, with different costumes. Is that the same idea? Does two different costumes mean two creators? Two creations? Or still only one creator and creation? In this issue, is it the case not of who created the idea, in air quotes, of the name Spider-Man, but who created the published Spider-Man creation? Yeah, and w once again, it's, it's a really interesting way of conveying a concept through um, a concept about comics through comics because you have a, uh, a drawing or a couple of illustrations. Um, one of them is an illustration of Captain America and, and the, the drawings kind of lack style because they're trying to, they're a little bit more generic of drawings, I guess, just to strip away any kind of pretense of style and just go for the, the basic building blocks of what the characters are and what they look like and their the the shapes and the the designs that make them up and so you have a drawing of captain america and then you have a drawing of the early version of spider-man that jack kirby had drawn the character design that jack kirby had drawn that stanley did not like and scrapped and then you have a drawing of spider-man the the actual spider-man that we know that was drawn by steve ditko that he you know he created the design for or at least supposedly um yeah and the, the the basic idea of the kirby spider-man is that he's wearing a captain america style cowl he's got a belt with a, a holster for a gun he's got the kind of buccaneer boots and large um kind of dishwashing gloves that captain america has and he has he has his underwear and a belt over over his spandex costume yeah he looks very similar to captain america except for he just doesn't he doesn't have the wings on his cowl and he doesn't have the big star on his chest, but otherwise they're fairly identical. Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't have the shield either, obviously. Um, but I think what the drawing really conveys effectively is you have two Spider-Mans. They're both Spider-Man based on the fact that they were they came from the same idea. That they they were both drawn from a person's idea or a person's description of something of basically saying like draw a character called spider-man so they're both spider-man but they look and they also, look completely different and you and and you look at this and you say it's 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 juxtaposing two different ideas so the first idea is here's two spider-mans which one's spider-man and you look at it and it's like obviously the real spider-man is the spider-man that is the one we know it's the one with the blue and red and the web design and all that stuff that's spider-man the other the other thing is not Spider-Man. It's something that I've never seen before. It's just a weird other character. But they're both Spider-Man because they're both based on the same idea. So it really creates this visual representation of the fact that Spider-Man is the execution of the character, of the drawing of the character. Because that other character, if you just went by the concept that the idea is the thing that constitutes creation then they're both spider-man then these are both equally spider-man but you look at it and you're like that's not fucking spider-man that's just some weird shit um and then the other the other idea that it's conveying is it looks so similar to captain america that it kind of conveys this idea of like but it's also it looks almost identical to captain america but it's not captain america it's spider-man so once again what constitutes the character 
It can't be the idea because we're looking at something that looks more like Captain America than Spider-Man. And it definitely isn't Spider-Man. So another thing that is important to think about is that this the Kirby version of Spider-Man um, I've never actually seen these pages because to my knowledge, I think they've been destroyed or lost. I don't know if anyone has them anymore. Um, but what I, what my understanding is, what I've always heard is that Kirby's Spider-Man was actually a kind of cosmic Captain Marvel. So he was a teenager who would say a magic word or had a, I think, no, I think he had a ring. He had a magic ring that he would put on the ring and he would turn into an adult who would then go into outer space and go on mystical, you know, kind of Silver Surfer, New God style adventures. Yeah, that's a lot. Which, of, that's a lot of hats on hats there. A, a, teenage, <laughs> I mean, it a, is, a teenager who becomes an adult, but then he also has spider powers, but then he's also flying through space. Well, that's the thing is like Stan's idea of the way the Marvel method functions is just so bullshit that he gets co-creator credit for all of these, which is a harsh statement. I don't know if he doesn't deserve co-creator credit, but he definitely does not deserve creator credit, which is something that we're going to get into, I'm very certain, later in this episode. But the fact that as Dicko is illustrating, an idea and a creation is execution dependent. You can't copyright an idea. You can only copyright an execution of an idea. And when you have something as drastic as these two examples, Spider-Man being a teenager wearing red and blue spider-webbed underoos versus a small boy who puts on a ring and turns into an interstellar vigilante with a gun, they're just blatantly two different things. And was Stan involved in marketing of the character and making this the, the various Marvel characters successful in his, in air quotes, snappy dialogue or his kind of cultivating of a cult of personality in the letters pages? Absolutely. However, in terms of how most people view him, he is the Walt Disney. He created everything, which is just fucking bullshit. And we will also get into why that is a lie later. In this comic, Ditko outlines a key issue that we will discuss later. The notion that a creator is someone who comes up with an idea, not someone who is directly implementing the execution of an idea. Obviously, at a certain juncture, Stan was not pleased with the direction Spider-Man was heading. He took it away from Jack, gave it to Ditko to finish. The question is, where did the now iconic Spider-Man costume come from? Did Ditko introduce it whole cloth? No pun intended. Or was it something that had an earlier origin? Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. Act two, my best friend, Ben Cooper. In 2006, John Camino, an East Coast toy dealer and comic book seller, paid $500 for a small collection. Within that collection, he discovered a 1960s Ben Cooper Halloween costume. Initially, he didn't think anything of it. Camino eventually revisited the costume and discovered that it was actually the first licensed piece of Spider-Man merchandise. However, turns out, 
there was an earlier Ben Cooper Spider-Man costume. This costume wasn't red and blue like the comic book character. It was yellow. Were they related? How did this exist? When was there a yellow Spider-Man costume created? Well, it was first released in 1954, a full eight years before the existence of the famous webbed wall crawler. The costume is even similar in that it has a webbed suit. The mask has a web converging in a centralized point on the face. Obviously, the eyes are a little bit different, but if you were so inclined, you could make a compelling case that the yellow Spider-Man is an ancestor and maybe even a predecessor that is directly linked to Ditko's Spider-Man. Now here are some photos that we're gonna talk about with these various costumes. Obviously, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty deep in this Ditko game, so I might be a little bit biased. What is your more pristine point of view on these costumes? Do, does the yellow Spider-Man from 1954 look like a progenitor to you of the later 1962 Spider-Man costume? Um, I mean, well, first of all, it's interesting. I like this 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 photo setup of the way that they've sort of like turned it into a gradient where you have like the original 1954 Ben Cooper costume that's like this full yellow. And then you have it next to like a, a version of it from a few years later where it's still yellow. And then there's another Ben Cooper costume that's like the actual licensed Spider-Man costume where it's the red and blue, but there's like a little, there's like, parts of it are still yellow and then you have like another just full-on spider-man suit from some other costume company or whatever where it's just the classic blue and yellow just to show the sort of it it, it makes it more kind of believable to see the progression or the or the the similarities to see it sort of laid out like that do i think that it that spider-man was inspired by this costume or taken from it that's such a big question to to throw out now Okay, yeah, but I, I'm I'm mostly just attempting to to get, not necessarily for you to give a verdict, but like since the listeners can't physically see this costume, does it look reputable that someone would look at this costume and be like, "That's fucking Spider Man," or is it like, "Ah, get the fuck out of here"? I think I think the earlier one, the one the the second one where it's just literally, I mean, first of all, it's always so funny to me to see these old Halloween costumes, like from the from the initial. Halloween costume boom that happened before that whole industry kind of died back in the 60s well the 60s and the 70s the, the fact that like back then like a Halloween costume was like you're a spider-man there's a spider on your face and then and then <laughs> yeah. you and then you're wearing a bib that just says spider-man on it like that's what costumes were it was just like here's a weird mask on your face and then you'll just wear a bib that says the thing that you are do I think that it could be inspired by it Maybe it's really hard to separate your thoughts on it, knowing that it is believed to possibly be inspired by it. There's no way of there's no way of separating that out from your mind and compartmentalizing enough to have a truly objective opinion. Mm -hmm. If I didn't know anything about this whatsoever and I just saw this not being compared to a Spider-Man costume or not being compared to Spider-Man, that narrative not being brought into the situation, would I think that it is similar to a Spider-Man costume? I think maybe I might still because it's called Spider-Man. Like it's just, it's not even just the visual of it. It's the fact that it's, it is a Spider-Man costume and it says Spider-Man on it. Yeah. I think and that also the, the, the original 54 costume, like he's saying, literally says Spider-Man on the forehead in large bold type but spider-man without a dash yeah. it's just spider space man mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, obviously, there's no, there would be no way of getting around that. If you saw that, if you saw that costume and it's a Spider-Man on the forehead, you're definitely going to think of Spider-Man. Do I, do I think that it was actually ripped off from it or or stolen from it? Like I said, it's a pretty big question, but uh, you know, briefly, I'll just say maybe. And there are certainly many astounding coincidences that seem compelling and seem like maybe there was something going on behind the scenes that nobody knows about. But uh, I don't know. I always, I, I also think that people severely underestimate parallel thinking. So I guess the million dollar question is, did anyone ask Steve Ditko about the Ben Cooper costume? Did he draw inspiration from it? The answer is yes. John Camino asked him. He sent Disco photos and point blank asked him. What did Ditko reply? The burden of proof. What did he sound like? Did he have like a... I, I have no idea. The burden of proof is on the no, person. No, 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 no. You got to get more sad. You got to get... You got to be sad I, and alone. I, laddie. The burden of proof is on the oh, person. I hate this. <laughs> I hate this. How did it go from something you love to something you hate? Because Ditko is the only... Uh, Ditko is the only, the only sacrosanct thing in my life. The burden of proof is on the person who makes the assertion, claim, charge, some clippings, etc., are not rational proof of anything but some clippings, etc. So I feel like this is a perfect time to bring up the fact that I wrote letters to Steve Ditko, um, and I uh, exchanged letters with him. I, I I basically maybe like two years before he died, I sent him a package of a bunch of my comics, and um, and he said the burden of proof is on the person who makes the assertion, claim, charge. Yeah, I, ba I so I sent him a package basically just saying like, hey, thank you for thank you for making Spider-Man and all these wonderful things. You know, I love the creeper. I'm a big fan of your Into the Ghostly Manor, Charlton era comics. Like, I'm just really thankful that you made this work. I'm a cartoonist, too. And, you know, just as a way to pay some respect, I thought maybe I'd send you some of my comics. And um, I I. I had heard that if you put a self-addressed envelope into a package or a letter you send to him, that he would write back to you. And I had heard it in, in almost like a, it's like a weird, like compulsive thing where no matter what you write to him, he will write back to you. Um, which is so ironic considering that he's a fucking hermit and didn't want to talk to anybody. But for whatever reason, if you wrote to him, he compulsively would write back. And I found that to be true. I, um, I wrote him, I think three, three or four times. And every time I wrote him, he would write back within two or three days, um, varying degrees of leave me alone, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> he basically would just kind of not answer whatever I would ask him, um, with a stock phrase where he would, he would say, I do not answer questions about me or my work regards Steve Ditko. And then if I were to try and like, so the first rec the first letter I sent to him, you know, was in this package with all these books, and he sent back a letter saying, "Dear Dave, I have it. I have um, no interest in reading these books. I shall pass them along to someone who has the time or availability to evaluate them." And then what's interesting is a couple months later, a new Kickstarter went up on his page for a new book he was doing called "The Fuck Around Bunch." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, which was also a really which I funny can't, way I can't of claim credit for that. I didn't create that. Somebody we used to work with made up that, yeah, that fake parody name. Um, but it, which is really, it's interesting though that he would say, "I'm going to give it to somebody else," because 
that's what was so fascinating to me of like, who is he giving it to? He doesn't have friends. Like he literally just, I mean. He gave it to his kids like that one guy. He didn't have any kids. He didn't have any kids. That's how fucking, that's how lonely he is. <laughs> he didn't have any kids. He had, he has, he had some family. He had a couple nieces and nephews and, um, and a, a brother, um, you know, he had, in, in Pennsylvania. And in, ironically, his niece, Helena Ditko, works down the street from where I live in Koreatown. It's super weird. Um, but, but so he, you know, he was basically like, I'm going to give, I'll give it to somebody. And then, you know, I had asked him some questions, whatever I'd asked him of like, do you read modern comics? Do you, what's your, you know, what's your work schedule like, you know, as, as a 92 year old man, is it hard to make comics? Like it's fucking hard for me as somebody who's, you know, a third that, and he signed the, he finished the letter with, I do not answer questions about me or my work regards Steve Ditko. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll send him another letter. He wrote back. This is amazing. Maybe we'll become friends. So I sent him another letter, and I, I don't really remember what I asked him in the second one, but it was something to the effect of, like, you know, what is your end goal with your comics? Is it just to be read? Is it to make money? Like, I mean, I know that he is, he's, an, he's an Arandian objectivist, so he believes in, you know, being compensated for his work, but he doesn't want, he doesn't want to be given things that he hasn't earned. Um, so I was, I asked him something along those lines. I don't, I don't remember the specifics and all he wrote back was, I do not, dear Dave, I do not answer questions about me or my work regards Steve Ditko. I was like, oh, all right, cool. This is great. I, I'm just going to write a hundred letters to this guy. This is amazing. I'm going to get a hundred. I don't, I do not answer questions about me or my work. This is amazing. As a um, Randian objectivist, have you ever played Bioshock Infinite? <laughs> he writes back, bro, I'm playing it right now. So I, I was for the last letter i guess i yeah i think i wrote three maybe four but i think it was three i have them over there on the bookshelf i could get them out um but i i i asked i tried to come up with something to ask him that wasn't directly related to him or his work so i was trying to come up with something that maybe like was historical about the medium or maybe something that he had witnessed or had additional insight into and he he used to work a lot for one of my favorite publishers from the 60s and 70s this company called charlton they made really bad low quality horribly printed shitty comics and i love them they're amazing um and he did a book for them called into the ghostly manor which is basically just a knockoff tales from the crypt ec comic as a throwback thing and in in into the ghostly manor he also had a recurring character called dr graves which is his personal fuck you to stan lee dr graves is literally just dr strange um and he fights a not dormammu guy and he's a mystical guy who lives in a you know big building that has a secret room i mean it's it's just dr strange um and so i, I really like andrew the ghostly manor so i i was like i i asked him you know in in the time that you spent at charlton did you see poor business practices that led to their bankruptcy because i i i have heard that they bought a printing press and then their basement flooded and the debt from the printer is what ultimately caused them to finally have to declare bankruptcy. Is, you know, is, is that true? Did you witness any of that? Like you, you were there for the majority of the time that they were there. He created the question for Charlton. He created Captain Adam for Charlton, co-created Nightshade, uh, co-created Hawk and Dove for Charlton. And, uh, he wrote me back a letter this this time that was very um it was not his normal 
I do not answer questions about me or my work, which was in there at the end. But this was more of like a, I could tell that I really pissed him off. And he, he basically said like, you know, I, any business malfeasance or issues that Charlton had had is their business. It's not your business. And, and he, I don't remember the exact words, but it was basically like a, look, kid, leave me the fuck alone. I'm a 92-year-old man. I do not answer questions about me or my work. And at that point, I was just like, ah, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm pushing this too much. I, I got what I wanted out of this, which was to attempt to build a relationship with arguably one of the titans of the medium. And I'm very, very blessed and fortunate to be able to have any sort of cursory interaction with this man. And the fact that I have now three letters is more than I could have ever asked for. So I'm just going to now let this be what it is. And um, I think he died probably about six months, maybe eight months later. Um, so while it is probably a little bit rude of me to continue to send him letters, I, uh, I, I just love, I love that I own those letters. And I, I love that I had any sort of fleeting contact with someone who um, I consider to be one of the greatest illustrators in American history, one of the best artists in the medium, and the person who's responsible for creating some of the most idiosyncratic and important works in the mainstream superhero sphere. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say something as uh, somebody who is a little bit outside of the the comics world, doesn't have the same reverence. Guy sounded like a fucking asshole. He really was. He really no, I was. Know, I know that you think that too. I know you're not like weirdly like giving him a pass because he's like a hero or whatever um but uh i don't i don't think about it in the i don't think about it in the uh the way that you do where it's like it makes him a fascinating figure i just think that guy sounds like a fucking asshole fuck that guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean he he never gave an interview he's literally on the Mount Rushmore of American comics, responsible for multiple billion-dollar movie franchises, lived in a room all by himself for the majority of his life, never had a sustained romantic partner that we know of, basically pissed everybody the fuck off, and lived completely adherent to an absurd black-and-white worldview that would kill most people and arguably killed him maybe maybe it did and he just had an insane willpower was able to make it to 94 or 92 however the fuck old he was it's amazing yeah i just i think i think number one i think that my my opinion is painted by the fact that i think objectivists are some of the worst human beings on the entire planet and i have like there's just there's literally nothing redeemable to me about somebody who believes in that thought process um yeah i i I don't agree with it either i i uh, i and yeah. also of everything that you told me, uh, I, I understand an old man like wanting somebody to leave him alone and stop mailing him letters. Uh, I mean, I would argue why respond to them, just stop responding. But if he had a compulsion in that way, I get it of him being like, fuck off and leave me alone. The one thing that angers me about that story is the way that he specifically dressed down your comics and was like, I have no interest in reading these because I just feel like as somebody who anybody who works in the field of creating things, um, you owe your entire career to the people who consume the things that you make. So to be so uh, so to just be like, fuck your comics, I don't care about them at all. Like even even if he felt that way and didn't actually ever read them, 
the fact that he specifically went out of his way to tell you that he didn't read them is just such a shitty thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of fascinated of like, did he give them to somebody? Were they just in his apartment, like sitting on his end table? He had to have at least opened the box and looked at the covers. So at the very least, Steve Ditko's eyeballs, whether they wanted to or not, saw the cover to Action Hospital. Whenever he whenever he died and was discovered just in the news, it's like uh, legendary comic artist Steve Ditko was found dead in his apartment. Uh, his he he was found clutching a copy of a book called Fuck Off Squad. Ninety-two <laughs> year old Steve Ditko, noted objectivist and curmudgeon, secretly massive fan of queer romance skateboarding comic <laughs> Fuck Off Squad. He had scribbled a note that was also that was also clutched in his other hand that said, "Tell Dave I'm sorry." Also. A couple weeks before I died, I rejected all of my Randian beliefs. But I think that's what's just so fascinating to me about Steve Ditko is that everything that I know about him completely lines up with his purported and espoused beliefs. And humans don't work that way. We're filled with flaws and contradictions and and inconsistencies, and we we create self-sealing logic loops for why we shouldn't be held to some standard that we hold other people to. It's very antisocial behavior to be that um, rigid. So you're saying that the man who lived in the same apartment for 60 years and literally we don't know if he died a virgin or not might be antisocial. Well, I'm, I mean, I mean, antisocial in the in the psychological terminology and antisocial behavior, which is tantamount to psychotic or sociopathic yeah. behavior. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's, I, I think that there's, I don't think anybody that works in comics to a serious degree doesn't have some sort of mental illness yeah. <laughs> in some way, you know, like it's just, it's a, it's a medium that's, if you didn't have some foibles when you got into it, you definitely will when you leave. <laughs> And, and Ditko himself is just, he's a, he's a riveting figure to me. I'm obsessed with him. I'm obsessed by him. I love his work. I find the man's personal politics repugnant. He was a dick to me. And I love it. All of it. <laughs> Moving on. This is where things get even more interesting. Ben Cooper released both the yellow Spider-Man and the comic book accurate Spider-Man costumes. So how did that happen? Well, Ben Cooper and Marvel struck a deal in 1963, just months after the release of Amazing Fantasy 15. The details of this deal are unknown because Ben Cooper's files were destroyed in a fire in 1989. But logically, it would appear that Ben Cooper went to Martin Goodman, publisher of Marvel, and Stan Lee's cousin-in-law, and said, your character has the same name and looks a heck of a lot like my costume, understandably. Goodman must have cut him a sweetheart deal on some comics costumes licensing to prevent a lawsuit. Ben Cooper would go on to produce... What are the odds that that wasn't an accidental fire? Right? It definitely has occurred to me before. Ben Cooper would go on to produce costumes for many iconic properties, comics, and films. And that's the end of it, right? The murky gray soup of, did this beloved character start as a ripoff of a child's plaything? Well, no it still gets grayer and murkier. 
Remember Jack Kirby, iconic creator of the X-Men, the Hulk, Fantastic Four, and literally hundreds of other beloved characters? Well, sporadically throughout his life, he claimed that he created Spider-Man. In a comics journal interview from the 90s, when asked about the creation of Spider-Man, Kirby responded, I created Spider-Man. We decided to give it to Steve Ditko. I drew the first Spider-Man cover. I created the character. I created the costume. I created all those books, but I couldn't do them all. We decided to give the book to Steve Ditko, who was the right man for the job. He did a wonderful job on that. And if you look at the Amazing Fantasy 15 cover, the, the iconic shot of Spider-Man swinging through New York, holding a criminal under one arm, and you know that it's a Jack Kirby drawing underneath those Steve Ditko inks, it's like, oh shit, that totally is a Jack Kirby drawing. Like that, the villain's face is like 100% a Jack Kirby face. Also, the giant barrel chest of Spider-Man is like not what Steve Ditko would normally do at all. It's almost like a world without unions creates utter chaos. <laughs> no shit. If you look closely at the cover to Amazing Fantasy 15, it's very apparent that Jack Kirby penciled the cover. The barrel chest of Spider-Man, the face of the criminal, Ditko inked the cover. So it's not full Kirby, but his DNA is there. What is the claim here? Is the claim just that Steve Ditko still designed the character, but then Jack Kirby at first was drawing it? Or is the claim that Jack Kirby did design Spider-Man? The claim that Jack Kirby is making... So for context, Gary Groth, who's the publisher of the Comics Journal, is a very bon vivant, big personality. He has a rep for not giving a fuck, asking hard questions in interviews. And for a long time in the comics industry, he was kind of the only journalist because everybody was too afraid to ask publishers or editors or writers or artists really hard-hitting questions about the business side of things or about history or, or about ways that they had fucked each other over because the industry was so small that everybody knew each other. So if you got on one person's shit list, that could mean not working at a whole company for the rest of your life. So when Groth went to interview Kirby for this iconic interview, which is great, you should definitely go look it up if this is something that's interesting to you. He kind of goes through a period where he's asking Kirby about who created this person? Who created that person? What was the story behind this decision? Did Stan do this? Did Stan do that? Did you do this? Did you do that? And by this point in the conversation, also Jack is old at this point. He's like 87 or some shit like that. Maybe 85, somewhere in there. He's in his 80s. And Jack Kirby is not a particularly linguistically nimble person. He speaks and thinks in the way that he draws. Everything is big and blocky and kind of blunt but very sturdy. And so when he says, I created Spider-Man, this is coming off of him being riled up by Gary Groth. Gary Groth is just kind of like, Stan never did anything. Stan never did anything. Stan's a piece of shit, right? And Jack in this conversation is like full on like, yeah, I told you he's a fucking piece of shit. I, he didn't do the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four was me, which I personally happen to believe is mostly true, but also Stan contributed with the dialogue because the Fantastic Four is literally just challenges of the unknown. It's the same comic rebooted. He's the one that said, um, moitalize. Right. And, and so when he says, I created Spider-Man, I created the costume, I don't know. You could take him at the literal words there. You could also argue that he's just kind of being goaded into saying some things that may or may not be factually accurate, but are spiritually accurate. Like, I interpret that to mean Spider-Man that exists currently is a riff and a reaction to the thing that I did. And because of that DNA linking, 
I should be credited in that conversation of we wouldn't have gotten the red and blue thing if it weren't for my presence in that chain of events. But you could also literally just look at those words and think maybe Jack Kirby is claiming to create the costume, which there is a case that some people have made for that because of something that we're going to reveal in a minute. So the real question is, what was this that Kirby was actually talking about? Kirby would later go on to draw Spider-Man number eight, which Ditko would ink. Was he confused? Was he describing this standalone story? No. In the 1950s, Jack Kirby supposedly worked at Ben Cooper as an artist and briefly as a designer. Is it possible that he was one of the people behind the original Ben Cooper yellow costume? Is it possible that Steve Ditko made the iconic Spider-Man design by ripping off the original Jack Kirby design? Maybe? I don't know. There's also substantial evidence that when Jack Kirby and Joe Simon were working together in the late 1940s and early 1950s, they in fact had a character named Spider-Man in their files. This character never quite ended up being produced, but is it possible that this is where Stan Lee, who was Kirby and Simon's assistant at the age of 18, got the idea from? Is this why Stan is always making disclaimers about being truthful? This is why I have you sign an NDA before any time we ever hang out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting because Kirby and, and Simon, they had a file cabinet filled with like half ideas of, you know, Brick Man, Cardboard Box Man, uh, Dancing Boy, whatever, all these random, you know, character sketches, idea names, power ideas, just because at that point, comics was a, a churn and burn industry. It was just, you know, you find a publisher, they want a caped character, and you give them a caped character, and then that character comes out, and then next week, you gotta literally do the same fucking thing again. But, I mean, That's and this just, this just hardens the the case for the concept that the execution is is the is the creation and not the idea but is it even really that compelling of a piece of information that multiple people had an idea for spider-man like is that really such an uncanny coincidence that there's a bunch of people in an industry where the template for what you do as a creator is mash up a person with an animal and then make a costume that looks like that animal and that multiple people all had the idea for a spider-man in that context i think there's a kernel of truth there i think there's also that you're looking at that through 2020 eyes when you think about the fact that in the 1930s and the 1940s that rubric of you take a animal or a, a element or a power and a shove man on the end of it that wasn't necessarily an entire genre that wasn't a that wasn't a narrative mechanism in the way that we view it as now that was one guy superman yeah and then very quickly after that batman but other than those two like you know how long is the numerical pachinko board that gets you to spider-man i don't know it's probably not that far but also, Stan Lee was literally working in the office with two guys who came up with the idea of having a character named Spider-Man. I feel like that, at the very least, even if it wasn't a malicious thing, Stan heard the words Spider-Man together. I was like, man, that's a good idea. And then 
whatever, 20 years later, I got an idea for Spider-Man, even though it wasn't his idea originally. He had heard it from yeah. Kurt, Simon and Kirby. Mm-hmm. And that character, the Spider-Man idea, they, they tried to make it a couple times. Um, they hired C.C. Beck when when Simon and Kirby ran their own company, which I'm now blanking on the name of. It's like, Mile, not Milestone. Fuck. I don't remember the name of their company. But in, after they left Marvel. It was called Stanley Productions. Yeah, after they, after they left Marvel and uh, all the other companies that they were working for during that time. It was called Stripperella. They started their own they started their own publishing company and one of the things they tried to launch was a superhero that was going to be Spider-Man and they had CC Beck illustrate it and I'm blanking on who was going to be the writer but I feel like it was one of those stalwart guys you know Bill Finger or whoever whoever it was um and they were going to make Spider-Man but over the course of creating the character he changed into the Silver Spider which again goes back to execution is the idea because that character literally started as Spider-Man and ended as the Silver Spider. Um, and we all know the, you know, $75 billion. Yeah, in the early, in the early stages of Deep Cuts, you were going to be Darv Bonker. It's true. It's true. Before you really got your shit together and yeah. started figuring out how to, how to make a, a compelling character, Darv although, Bonker you know, was... Have you, but although, you know, have you ever had that situation where you come up with an idea and you don't like it and so you sort of slowly evolve it away from it over time and you get to a place and then you kind of look back and you and you kind of like with fresh eyes you realize that you kind of like the original idea better than where it went mm-hmm. um yeah that, that no 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 more comment than that r.i.p darv that, bonker r.i.p darv bonker does darv bonker not wear hats darv bonker is a giant hat a talking hat to sum it up creation is execution dependent who created spider-man's costume who knows everyone involved has a different answer except steve ditko i guess at this point it's just not a cut and dry thing my gut says ditko was substantially involved because it's such a weird idiosyncratic design but we may never really know The only concrete fact in this whole story is that Ditko's legacy as Spider-Man's co-creator was completely overshadowed and usurped by Stan for decades. If the official story is Stan and Steve are the creators, then Steve should be fully recognized as the co-creator of Spider-Man. In my heart of hearts, uh-huh. I feel the guy who comes up with the concept yeah, is, is the, the guy is who the father, it. sure. But Steve feels and I hope he doesn't when he sees this doesn't feel I'm quoting him wrong. Right. He feels that the person who physically gives it life mm-hmm. is the co-creator. Otherwise, all I had was an idea which was nothing solid. Right. Now, while I don't really agree with that, uh-huh. I have enough respect for Steve and for the other artists mm-hmm. that I am very happy and very comfortable mm-hmm. to call myself the co-creator right. of all of these things. And you coined the phrase, with great power comes great responsibility, which is a, yeah. everyone that knows Spider-Man knows that line. I think there is something to be said for when analyzing the contributions of Stan and Jack to the various creations of the Hulk, X-Men, Thor, Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer you know, all the hundreds of characters they co-created. I think there is a greater case to be made for Jack Kirby is the creator of those comics and Stan Lee is the guy who heavily edited his dialogue. For Spider-Man, I think there's more of a legitimate case to be made for Stan is the co-creator 
of Spider-Man, if only because he came in at a few key junctures and added things that were antithetical to Steve Ditko. And I think, you know, what Kevin Smith says in that interview where he's like, well, you came up with power and responsibility. I think that is a good point. That is a really good point in that that is so endemic to the character of Spider-Man and what makes him successful and the cautionary tale of this guy was kind of shitty and he embraced hubris and then learned from it. That's a good point. That That is one of the reasons why Spider-Man has lasted as long as he has. But also, Stan's flippantly, I just kind of think that the guy who came up with the idea is the creator. Like, that's just, you live on fucking Mars. That's not what this is. And to drive my point home more, here's another clip. But do you yourself believe that he co-created it? I'm willing to say so. That's not what I'm asking you. No, and... That's the best answer I can give you. So it's a no then, really? Pardon me? So it's a no then. No, I really think the guy who dreams the thing up created it. You dream it up and then you give it to anybody to draw it. I mean... But if it had been drawn differently, it might not have been successful or hit, I suppose. Yeah, but then I would have had created something that didn't succeed. (laughs) (laughs) Valid point. But I don't want to... You made me say that in this documentary that you're doing and I'm sorry I said it because I'm happy to say I consider Steve to be the co-creator but you can see uh, I I think if Steve wants to be called the co-creator I think he deserves to be called the co-creator because he had done such a wonderful job that line of logic just raises my hackles like that is just such an entitled privileged thing to say it's 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 the quintessential, it's the emotional core of that same thing that every artist has had to deal with, where someone is just like, oh, wow, yeah, you're really good at drawing. You, you, you know, you're just born that way. No, motherfucker. I sat at this table for decades to learn how to do this. This is a skill, not an innate ability. Like, it's, it's just so fucking frustrating when people have that lack of understanding about the process that these things undergo in order to be created and stan knows better and that's what's so telling about that interview specifically is that for a split second the character stan lee drops away and stanley lieber the small shitty self-conscious guy is there where he's like asked you know so it's a no then and he kind of like his face sinks and he kind of like his shoulders rise and he's obviously upset and annoyed and he gives an answer and then he kind of like chuckles as a way of trying to appear to be more avuncular or affable where you can tell the guy inside is seething. But it's kayfabe. He's trying to put on the the, the, the Uncle Stan Lee show and Jonathan Ross is like, yeah, but you're being fucking shitty to the dude who did all the work. Do you realize that in the creation of Spider-Man, you wrote the name Spider-Man six sentences and then dialogue finished pages which is probably let's say two hours worth of work stan did two hours worth of work steve ditko made an entire world in those initial pages for that amazing fantasy story he worked on that story for days weeks that has to mean something the fact that he imbued that with so much time and care and energy should be rewarded by society being like at the very least, he's the guy who co-did this, if not the one who did the fucking lion's share of everything because he really wrote the story. It's so fucking, just people, it's just, there's so much ignorance and so much lack of awareness of what the process is 
which then feeds into false expectations and false understanding of the end product, which is just so fucking frustrating. Well, on top of that, and I I feel like we're already getting into a territory of like, we shouldn't even be talking about this because this is material for a different episode. But what's even crazier than that is on top of that. I mean, that's that's one thing to just say like, oh, I created this and kind of leave, leave it, try to leave him out of it and also do this weird like patronizing thing where you're like, well, if he wants to, then yeah, sure. But on top of that, it's not even just that he has gotten creator status for these characters and the artists have sort of been left out of it. But on top of that, at a, at a more surface level, once you break out of the stratosphere of like actual people who really read comics and really know about them in the greater mainstream context of who Stanley is, 90% of the world, or at least 90% of the world of people who know who Stanley is or know who what about these Marvel characters or whatever, like they think that he just made the whole comic. Like people people just think that Stanley drew the comics too and that he's just a guy who made the comics. And, you know, we've seen a flood of so many memes and things. I mean, I was, I just, I think I, think I saw another, I, certainly there was a lot of them whenever he passed away, but I, I saw a meme just a couple of days ago that was like, when we tear down these statues of these like slave owners and things like that, you know, what, what should they, what should they be replaced by? And then it was just a picture of Stan Lee and it's like people and people, yeah, people think that he just made spider-man like he drew it and he's not even an artist which is funny though because in a lot of his older strips like millie the model specifically because they weren't allowed to put credits on any of the books stan lee would just sign the pages so it looks if you don't know it looks like he drew them like there's a bunch of old originals that are just signed stan lee does that exist in like what are there any other examples of that in any other field like in movies like there's nothing there's nothing like that where people just credit like something to one person who really had nothing to do with it at all like in movies i think everybody relatively understands i don't know do i don't know if people think that walt disney personally drew and animated the the characters I they one hundred percent do. I think they, they think 100% that one hundred percent. I think do. they think that maybe he did early on, but I but I definitely think that Walt Disney is thought of as kind of like a CEO type of person more than he personally created the things. But other than that, I think I think people generally kind of understand that like a movie is directed by a director and it's written by a screenwriter and it's acted by actors. There, there's an understanding of that in books. It's like that's a very solitary experience. The writer wrote it and that's kind of the end of it. I, I I can't think of any other example where somebody is like universally regarded as being involved in a thing in a, to a capacity that they were not involved in it at all. And it's sort of a It's been like allowed to be perpetuated. Um, would you say that Steve Jobs is a similar example? Yeah, 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 I guess it is. It is a similar thing where, yeah, like Steve, people think that Steve Jobs like in 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 like some irrational part of people's minds where they've never intellectualized it. He's just thought of as like the, he actually personally invented like Max and the iPhone or whatever. When in reality, he was just a business person. He, he didn't create anything. 
uh, yeah, I guess that is kind of similar. Yeah, this is it's super super frustrating, and I, the the it, it's more complicated than this. But the short answer is the reason why people think that Stanley created all these things is because he won a lawsuit or won a settlement in a lawsuit against Sony Pictures and Marvel Comics in the mid two thousands, where after the initial Spider Man movie came out and made a ton of money, Stanley sued and. They settled out of court, and the settlement was that Stan would get um, a yearly salary from Marvel for the rest of his life, editor emeritus status from Marvel for life, um, a cut of the money that the Spider-Man movies made, executive producer credits on every Marvel movie that would be produced from that point on, and most importantly for this conversation, a cameo in every Marvel movie. And so because of that, there ends up being this kind of like dissolution of proper accreditation and an implementation of creation by association mm-hmm. where Stan just stands on the screen on the screen in a featured shot in all of these movies because he won it for this lawsuit and then people just know him now as the guy who made he created he co-created the X-Men because he's in the X-Men movie he co-created the Hulk because he's in the Hulk movie but now he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. He must have created that too. Now he's in Captain America. He must have created that too. Forgoing the fact that he had, he was 18 when Captain America was created and he literally had nothing to do with it. Which makes he a lot nothing, of... He had nothing to do with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Nothing to do with Deadpool. Nothing to do with any of these characters that he's showing up in. But because of his association and, a, and something someone had heard at one point of like, oh yeah, that's the guy who created whatever. Now it's he just gets credit for everything. Yeah, which makes a ton of sense because it's like it's just that like that context clue process that you go through when you see something like that and you just kind of make an assumption. Um, and usually it's right. But in a situation like that, you're kind of co-opting that and allowing people to assume it based on that. I, I remember when I was when I was younger, um, one of like the Bride of Chucky or whatever that first Chucky movie was the the first movie that wasn't child's a child's play? no the, bef- oh, oh, the that, Chucky that one, wasn't yeah. a Chuck a child's play movie the actual first Chucky movie is that Seed of Chucky no Bride of Chucky or Seed of Chucky or whatever it was it was Bride it was Bride yeah whatever that first one was in the early early two thousands um John Waters has a cameo in it and when I was younger and I watched that because John Waters was in it. I just thought that John Waters must have directed the child's play movies because it just seemed like that was what it would be. It's like, oh, yeah, like it feels like they're bringing in this guy as a cameo of like, here's the guy who directed the original movies and we're giving him a cameo. It just felt like that was what it was. And so I thought that he had directed those movies. And then, you know, later on, I I realized that wasn't true. So I can totally see that a whole generation of young kids watching um, Marvel movies, um, they, 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 they see that, they see him in all these movies and they just make that contextual assumption of like, oh, this guy is in all these movies. Like he must have created these characters. It's, it's just filling in the blanks using context clues. Yeah, and I mean, even, so one, he's, he's in movies that he didn't create the characters for at all. But additionally, the movies that he is in as a creator, in air quotes, he didn't create them. He co-created them. 
Jack Kirby drew a shitload of X-Men comics. But as far as most people know, Stan Lee created the X-Men. It's very, very frustrating to me. Creation is execution dependent. You can't copyright an idea, only the implementation of an idea. And if Ditko created this work, and even if he didn't create the initial story, he did every other issue of the first few years of Amazing Spider-Man. He broke the story down. He co-wrote the issues. He wrote rough dialogue passes for all the characters. Sometimes Stan would change things significantly, like Stan changing Spider-Man's dialogue from admonishing hippies to praising them in one story, or deciding to have Green Goblin be Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn's father, a decision that Ditko purportedly hated. All I'm attempting to illustrate is Stan had a part in Spider-Man's creation, but saying that he, in air quotes, created it is just factually inaccurate. So is this what Stan seems to always be attempting to skirt with his obvious guilt-ridden explanation for Spider-Man's origins? Or is it that he's someone in this process who is willingly omitting the truth? I don't really know. And we probably never will because everyone has now passed away. But one thing we can say for sure is that the folks at Marvel knew something was off about Spider-Man because they chose to spell Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Yeah, you've never really thought about that before, have you? Spider-Man, just the way it's spelled. There can't be any malice or alternative intention behind it, right? Or is the hyphen a dead giveaway that there is an original sin lurking in the annals of Marvel that nobody wants to talk about? Or is it Big Dash? trying to propagate their overusage of hyphenation and seed it into the society so that the sheeple become brainwashed into thinking that you have to hyphenate things all the time. And that Wake up, sheeple. You don't have to hyphenate anything. Wake up, sheeple. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I briefly said it as a joke. Not, not a joke. It wasn't like I... Obviously, it was a joking way of saying, saying something real, but... Um, this whole thing just reminds me of how just in a in a vacuum of no regulation, inevitably it's just turns into sheer chaos of just, you know, this whole thing, this whole thing could be solved by just a system where, you know, the authorship of things go on to record. And it's all arbitrated by an organization, a third-party organization that is an objective uh, standpoint to to weigh in on situations. The, the same way that the Writers Guild or the Directors Guild or any of these any of these things function. Like, obviously, there was a time when the movie industry was a lot more messy, but uh, you know, for much longer than the comics industry, the film industry has had a fairly solid system for making sure that situations like this do not happen. Um, in fact, a lot of times, like in the movie industry, people get credit for things that they probably maybe shouldn't have because they, you know, they did a, a rewrite of a script and then the studio decided that they didn't want to use the rewrite, but they still gave them writer's credit because they didn't want to get a lawsuit or whatever. If anything, they, they're overcautious about making sure that everybody is fairly credited for things. Um, there's obviously still issues in that industry, but 
the 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 dichotomy of the two is just night and day of just like you know anybody who's out there anti-union it's like this is such a this is such a synecdoche for how effective they can be at preventing a situation from just devolving into pure chaos yeah and i mean the the lineage of this which i know you've heard me ramble about a lot but the, the lineage of this comes directly from the fact that the comic book industry in america was established primarily by the mob it was primarily established by legs diamond and jack cohen and harry donenfeld and jack Leibowitz, who were all mob associated dudes in the 1930s and 40s and they originally started publishing pulp novels in order to clean rum running money and then when comics started to rise in popularity after mc Gaines came up with the idea of reprinting single sunday funnies on a broadsheet folding it over twice and putting new comics in it instead of reprints um the mob started using that as a means of doubling their money now because they could clean all kinds of money that way so they could just have the printing presses running 24-7, basically. And because of that, the ownership tactics were not steeped in the big five novel copyright mechanisms of preserving the ownership and authorial rights. Um, so during the 30s and 40s, when comic book creators and writers and artists would sign their checks, on the back of all their checks, Jack Leibowitz, who was the accountant for national publications, which later became DC, came up with this idea that if you put a little text box that would normally say, endorse here to redeem your check with your signature, if you change that text box to say, endorse here to redeem this you know, financial value, but also by endorsing, you're admitting that the company owns everything you do. He turned the actual check into a contract, which then made a catch-22. You, you could either cash your check and pay rent, and fork over all your ownership, which you had no leverage to negotiate with anyway, or you could hold out and go homeless. And so everybody just signed those checks. And that's not legally enforceable, but also when you've signed a, you know, a bunch of these checks and you're a poor Jewish immigrant and you don't have a lawyer, you don't know that that's not fucking legally enforceable. So it's now it's legally enforceable. So it's basically the same thing. So that's how Siegel and Schuster got fucked over with Superman. That's how all these guys got fucked. And the reason that Stan didn't get fucked as much as the rest of them is that he was the cousin-in-law of Martin Goodman. So he's basically just like able to play the family card at every turn and kind of wiggle his way around until he just stayed at the company long enough to he till he was like the last person there, which is actually what happened. Marvel slash timely was going under in the late 50s and jack kirby saved them with the fantastic four like full on he saved marvel there's a you know urban legend who knows if it's true or not that jack went to the marvel offices to have a meeting about potentially doing some more freelance work coming back and doing work for them and they were literally carting out filing cabinets and stan had had to fire all of the staff and was sitting in his office on the floor crying and Jack found out what was happening with the company and was just like, I'll be back Monday. And he came back Monday with the Fantastic Four. Who knows if that's true, but that's the urban legend of that he reconceptualized challenges of the unknown, brought it back in. Stan then kind of 
did his, you know, tap dance routine of shifting the dialogue around, which is a vital part of what makes some of that stuff really successful. I'm, I'm not trying to downplay that. Um, but also that the, the, the approach to it so often is Stan Lee came up with the Marvel's first family. Did he though? Because it's like a reboot of Jack Kirby and Joe Simons or uh, Jack Kirby's like it's not it's not guys i feel like this isn't that hard (laughs) um but yeah i feel like i've articulated my thoughts on this fairly well in that i but i think as as a as a finishing note i just want to point out that i i think it's fascinating that there are all these conflicting stories about i think it's fascinating there are all these conflicting stories about spider-man's costume which is arguably the greatest superhero costume ever created other than superman um and by far, it's the most idiosyncratic and the most visually significant. Um, and I think it's interesting that it might or might not have this very specific progenitor, especially because that's the thing that Stan and everybody points to as sep- sep- separating the character. And also the thing that Ditko points to as that that was my key contribution. Peter Parker, all of that bullshit, that was Stan. That was there before I got there. But the costume was me. And is it a ripoff if he took it from Ben Cooper? Is it a, you know, uh, is it somehow underhanded? I don't know. I think the fact that the character's name is Spider-Man is more underhanded than the costume for me. But I don't think that there is a definitive answer to this question. I just think it's something that's really interesting and that I am fascinated by because there aren't too many examples of major, massive, globally recognized icons where there are shady origins and these little creative eddies in this way like we all know where mickey mouse comes from he comes from oswald the rabbit he's an he's an iterative design principle based on walt disney and most importantly of fucking iWorks's work at the companies that they had run before disney animation spider-man the suit spider-man the, the ben cooper costume peter parker the character they feel like they come fully formed and Maybe that immaculate reality is because they're basing it off of this costume. Maybe it's because these guys are just brilliant artists at the top of their game. Maybe it's something that we're not even aware of. But the fact that Ben Cooper got an exclusive license for all of the Marvel comics, the fact that the Ben Cooper warehouse just conveniently burned the fuck down, and the fact that Spider-Man's name is Spider-Man, all of those facts are very, very interesting to me. Yeah, it also. I mean, it also asks a question that uh, I don't know if I don't know if this quandary is really tackled a lot. Um, this idea of like drawing inspiration from your surroundings and like where the line is, where that becomes theft or something. Um, you know, because if if uh, you know if somebody did see this Halloween costume and were kind of inspired by it and like oh yeah i saw this saw this i saw this costume on the shelf at a store the other day and it was kind of like a spider man thing and it was like it was like a a suit and it had like a web design and then sort of taking that and using that as a as a piece of inspiration um to create the Spider-Man costume, you know, what, like where, where is the line where that is or isn't 
okay to do or if you do or do not have to credit or you know give some kind of royalties to the that you know the costume company that made that costume because you know there it seems like maybe it would be from that when you talk about it like that it seems like maybe it would be cut and dry but then when you start to really open it up to like what really goes into making something i feel like it makes that it 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 paints a lot more gray on the board because you know for instance when you're writing a script or whatever when you when you're writing a a screenplay or a pilot for a tv show or whatever a web series or whatever a lot of writers will incorporate things said to them by friends and strangers and things like that like your friend will say something very funny to you and you will write it down and then you'll literally verbatim put the thing that they said to you in your script a character saying it um uh i i i saw an interesting thing the other day where uh this this old youtuber from the early days of youtube who uh who used to do these really strange video blogs uh his name is dax flame i was texting you about him the other day and uh i I don't know what degree of this is like real and what degree of this is him doing a weird character because his whole thing is like people always weren't sure if he was doing like a character or if he was really like that. But he started releasing videos again recently. And in one of the videos, he claims that so he was he was a really popular YouTuber and then he was in a couple of movies as like a minor character. He was in 21 Jump, Jump Street. He played one of the friend characters that, you know, the the high concept of that movie is that whenever Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum's characters go back to high school, Channing Tatum, who is this buff jock guy, he actually befriends the nerds. And then Jonah Hill's character falls in with the popular kids. And Dax Flame was one of the kids who was the nerdy friend group that Channing Tatum forms and he was in another movie he was in Project X as one of the friend characters in it and but then his he never really nothing really ever happened for him again after that he was just in those two movies and that was it and so cut to recently and he just like works in an ice cream shop in Los Angeles and he claims in a video and like I said I don't know how much of this is real and how much of this is like a weird character. But he claims that one of the screenwriters for the Pixar movie um, Onward came into the ice cream shop and told him that he based the main character in the movie off of his character in 21 Jump Street. And he, in this video that he posted, he's basically accusing him of stealing his likeness without crediting him or paying him for it and that's that that's where the gray area become comes in we're like where is the line on that can you like is it not just fine to like be inspired by a character in a movie and and make a similar character is that stealing somebody's likeness i don't i don't think so and i've never really thought about it that way but it certainly makes you question it to have somebody frame it in that way and and, the, yeah. and that and this is a similar thing where it's like 
even if Steve Ditko did see that Halloween costume and did use it as inspiration, like where is the line on that? Is that wrong? Is that illegal? Is that theft? I I, don't... I mean, I've definitely I've definitely taken characters from movies that I've liked or people in my real life and put them in books to varying degrees. You know, I mean, sometimes it's fairly subtle of like, oh, this person's loosely inspired by, you know, an experience that I had with another person, partner or whatever. And sometimes it's like literally I'll because I'm very interested in the intersection of low culture and high culture and, and bootlegging and mimicry, socially speaking. and uh, and this kind of like echo chamber that pop culture can kind of have sometimes. And I literally have just taken characters from obscure movies and put them in comics as the villain or as a supporting character. And like sometimes people notice, other times they don't. And that's kind of interesting to me is, am I going to get sued by insert production company here? I don't know. Nobody's sued me yet. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I've done similar. I haven't done that. I don't think maybe. Well, actually I have. I've, I literally made a web series that Bruce Willis is a character in it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like Deadbolt. Deadbolt is literally just, he's patterned after uh, Jack Palance in a movie called Out of the Past. Like, and it's just, that's like directly what I, what the character, I mean, it's a little different because he's a robot. So I don't think anybody would ever be like, that's stealing the likeness of Jack Palance. But that's what it was. I, I, I like exactly patterned his personality and his general look off of that specific actor in that specific movie. And I would, it would never occur to me that that would be some kind of like stealing of somebody's likeness. I, for me, the line is the line that is very well established in the 80s slash early 90s. Whenever Crispin Glover asked for too much money to return for Back to the Future 2 and 3, they didn't give him his requested salary and they wrote him out of the movies. And they basically created this entire storyline centered around him being dead. But then for one sequence or a couple of sequences in the movie... They did need to portray George McFly. So in the future sequences, they got a sound-alike, look-alike actor to play George McFly, basically doing a Crispin Glover impression. And they worked out this situation where it's in the future, slash 2015, um, and everything's all futuristic and there's all these gadgets and things like that. And he comes over to the McFly house and he's he's being suspended upside down, hanging upside down from this floating mechanism. And he explains that he threw his back out playing tennis or something like that. And this is some futuristic thing where if you throw your back out, you can just be carried around (coughs) by some floating robot who will hold you upside down to like stretch your back out or whatever. And the reason why they did that was because if he was hanging upside down, it, you wouldn't be able to, you know, human beings are designed to look at each other, you know, at a certain perspective. And that's how we recognize facial expressions and facial features and things like that. And you can actually obscure that by looking at a face upside down. It disorients your ability to recognize facial features. So they specifically had this impersonator of Crispin Glover hanging upside down, which even further obscured his likeness to the point where 
they were basically trying to trick you into thinking that it was Crispin Glover. And Crispin Glover did not like that. And he sued them. And it created a law that you are not allowed to portray an actor's likeness in a movie without paying them. So, for instance, whenever in Blade Runner 2049, when they got an actress, a young actress, to play the body double or whatever of Sean Young's character from the original Blade Runner, and then they just CGI'd Sean Young's young face onto the actress's face, and it was using footage from the original Blade Runner. So <clears throat> Sean Young was not involved in this production at all. She never stepped onto a set. She never stepped in front of a camera. They took footage of her from an old movie and they grafted it onto a different actress. But because they were showing Sean Young, not only was she paid as a supporting actor in the movie, but she was credited. She was top billed in the movie, starring Sean Young, even though she wasn't involved in the movie at all. And that's a law now. So that's to me, that's the line. But but then the way that sometimes it's talked about, there's these other other gray areas that I think people consider that I don't know if I necessarily agree with, but it, I, 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 I'm not going, I, I don't necessarily shut them out or just immediately shut that down. I'm not like, oh, fuck you. That's stupid. It, it makes me think. It makes me wonder. I don't know what the answer is to that. I don't really either. All I know is that any chance I get when I'm in public talking about a project, I always say the name of the given co-creator on the book. And I say that I've made something with insert person here um, because I want to treat other human beings the way I would want to be treated. And if I was spending two years of my life drawing a book, it took somebody three weeks to write. I feel like the least they can do is say, so-and-so did the drawings. So-and-so is the co-creator. I made this with so-and-so. Um, and I feel like the cult of personality and the role that Stanley fills within broader culture is one discussion. I think the way that he discusses the act of creation and the way that he comported himself with his flippantly disrespectful attribution of creator credits and co-creator credits and the status of his various artistic collaborators who he would not be recognized without the contributions of is very disturbing to me and I don't like it and I attempt to live my life in a way that is diametrically opposed to that to the point where I go out of my way to say things like fuck Stanley I'm Dave Baker I was gonna damn it damn it I was gonna say this has been Deep Cuts starring Andrew Price bye <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dave Baker and I'm Andrew Price uh, you can find oh, oh shit I, I fucked it up I'm Dave Baker no, actually, you're right. I don't think. Oh wait, no. Do I say? I, no, it's no, it's no. It is. It's, I'm, I'm Dave Baker. Yeah, I'm yeah. Andrew Price. Okay. This has been Deep Cuts. Yeah, I'm Dave Baker, and I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. If you'd like to find me on the internet? You can find me at heydavebaker.com, where you can find books like Fuck Off Squad, drawn by Nicole Gu, Action Hospital, drawn by me and a bunch of people like Nicole Gu, Robert Negretti, Clay Mural, and. Uh, 
uh, unfortunately too many people to oh name. come on you don't give those fucking credits every time you do this sign off you're just, no i you're don't just... do it every time of this but when i do interviews i when i'm talking about a book specifically i i make an effort to always say who drew it or who my artistic collaborator is on the project um because it's a massive pet peeve of mine when people don't andrew where can people find you on the internet you can find me wasting away in my hoveled apartment slowly letting the years draw by time merely punctuated by intermittent mail that i get from fans my only connection to the outside world sending generic form letters back to them asking them to leave me alone and you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can get my book jack palance stars in out of the past the robot comic which is actually called Deadbolt AI Private Eye. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.